Welcome to Life, bringing you insight and experiences into love, relationships, and fertility with an emphasis on enjoying life and moving forward. Today, we're here with Dr. Mavis Garcia to talk about PCOS. Hi, welcome to Life, Love, Insight, Fertility Experiences. Today, we're going to talk about PCOS, which is something that so many women experience who are going through fertility journeys. And I'm here with Dr. Garcia from Toronto. And it's so great to talk to somebody from another country and hear what they're doing. And PCOS is PCOS regardless of where you are. So Dr. Garcia, thank you so much for being here today. It's my pleasure today, Laurie. Thank you for having me. Oh, please. Thank you. You know, I had noticed all these wonderful, positive things that you were putting out. And I just thought I had to connect with somebody who had such a positive <laughs> outlook on everything they were going through. So it's a pleasure to talk to you today. Could you tell us just a little bit about um, where you practice and a little bit about your background? Yeah, absolutely. So I practice in Toronto, Canada. I'm the assistant medical director of Markham Fertility Center. I've done all of my training in Toronto. So I did my bachelor's degree at the University of Toronto. I did my medical school for four years at the University of Western Ontario. Mm-hmm. And then my five-year OB-GYN residency program, also at the University of Western Ontario, followed by an extra two years of reproductive endocrinology and infertility training. And then I moved to Toronto where my parents were living and where my husband's family is from. And since 2011, since 2011, I started my practice at Markham Fertility Center, and it has become my home uh, since that time. So there's so many things that people go through in transitions and in moves, which you've gone through, but also in understanding PCOS. And um, I would like to let everybody know, because of COVID-19, we are um, both at home quarantining. That's right. (laughs) The clinics are going to start to open. And so that's why we have like um, kind of homey backgrounds behind us. That's right. This is my home office right here. So PCOS is something that you know so many women go through and they experience and it can be very painful that's right a lot of times they don't know the cause they don't know where it comes from could Mm -hmm. you give any information about that yeah i'm happy to talk about pcos because in my practice being a fertility specialist i see it very often but not only that i see a lot of confusion sometimes a lot of misdiagnosis and a lot of anxiety that comes with this. I'm happy to sit here with you for a little bit and talk about it. All the emotions that you expressed are exactly what, what I hear. Because mm-hmm. the anxiety and not understanding and the symptoms become overwhelming when you first find Yeah, it. and unfortunately, even many physicians, uh, are the, the condition itself, it's not very well understood, even by physicians. Mm-hmm. And uh, that sometimes leads to delays in diagnosis and more misinformation and more confusion. So uh, just, um, I think it was a couple of weeks ago that I was teaching the family medicine residents at my at my hospital about PCOS and even hearing all the questions that they have sort of made me realize that there's still a lot of misinformation out there uh, for for patients and for physicians and part of that is because it is a difficult condition to understand it's not a condition that you diagnose you look at a blood test and you go yeah if the 
value is you know greater than this you have the condition it's not like that it's a right. little more complex than that how so, is diagnosis what i was going to start off asking you like how do we diagnose pcos on some yeah right that's i mean that's where the confusion comes from so PCOS is very much a clinical diagnosis Mm-hmm. What that means is not a diagnosis that you make on a piece of paper, like I was saying before. So you need to have a series of criteria. Mm-hmm. You need to have a series of criteria to make a diagnosis. And more importantly, you need to have been able to rule out other causes. So the most common criteria used by physicians is called the Rotterdam criteria. And it basically has three pieces in it. And you need to have two out of the three pieces to make the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So the three pieces are irregular cycles or what we call amenorrhea, which is no cycles, or oligomenorrhea, which means cycles that instead of having one cycle every 30 days, you're having um, and having 12 cycles in a year, you might be having five cycles in a year or six cycles in a year. So oligomenorrhea or irregular cycle, it's number one. The second one is either clinical, which means blood work, or physical uh, characteristics of, of hyperandrogenism. So hyperandrogenism basically means either hirsutism, which is a, a excessive hair growth. It could be excessive hair growth in the shin. It could be in the chest, in the arms, around the nipples. Uh, also excessive acne as well. So those are the main features of hyperandrogenism. And then the third criteria is polycystic ovarian looking uh, ovaries on ultrasound. Now, that in itself is very controversial as well because sometimes ovaries can have loss of follicles in women that have really good ovarian reserve, like young women and adolescents. You can have ovaries that are full of follicles, but that does not mean that they are necessarily polycystic ovaries. The other problem with the diagnosis is that the wording alone is confusing. Polycystic ovarian syndrome gives the impression that you're going to have a whole bunch of cysts in the ovaries, which is not the case at all. So we should really change the name. It's our fault that it's so confusing. (laughs) Um, So it's not cysts at all. The ovaries don't have cysts. What the ovaries have is a lot of follicles. And they are arranged in the ovary in a specific way, which is called the string of pearls, which is basically the all arranged around the periphery of the ovaries. So it is so for for a, for a radiologist or a physician or a, or a fertility specialist to look at an ovary and say that ovary has the appearance of polycystic ovarian syndrome is a little bit subjective, and it requires a bit of expertise and sort of familiarity with the condition. So many times I see patients in my office that says, oh, you know, I was told I have polycystic ovarian syndrome. And it's because at some point an ultrasound has been done and somebody has read the ultrasound saying multiple cysts in the ovary. And then immediately that diagnosis has been made without looking at the whole clinical picture. So you need to have at least two out of these three criteria in order to have polycystic ovarian syndrome, and more importantly, you need to rule out other causes. So if you're having irregular cycles, there are other reasons other than polycystic ovarian syndrome for irregular cycles. It could be your thyroid, it could be your prolactin, it could be so many, uh, it could be related to weight, it could be other things, so those needs to be ruled out. If you're having excessive hair growth or excessive acne, 
There is also other causes other than polycystic ovarian syndrome. Uh, and I don't want to, you know, complicate this when conversation by that, giving you big names, yeah. but those things need to be ruled out as well. So when they say that, you know, almost up to 12% of women could have this, because that's the high percentage. That's right. Do you think that that's um, an accurate number from what you're seeing and in your practice? I do think it's an accurate number because that number specifically comes from using the Rotterdam criteria. When you look at other studies, and it was about 15 studies, 15, 15 studies around the world that came up with that actual number, the, the 8 to 12 percent, 15 percent right. talking about. Uh, when you're looking at, you know, if you use your criteria as, you know, having irregular cycles or having polycystic ovaries or being obese, then it's going to be much higher. But when you start distilling those patients and realize that just because they had polycystic ovaries and ultrasound doesn't mean they have polycystic ovarian syndrome, then you bring down the incidence. So I do think that 12% is a fairly accurate estimate uh, because you use the Rotterdam criteria to make that diagnosis. I have a lot of women that I work with who will come to me and they're experiencing a lot of pain or they're saying that their weight is a huge impact or they're concerned about another clinical diagnosis that's associated with it. Does that come from PCOS or does that is that secondary? Well, it depends. So so there is the diagnosis of PCOS and making the diagnosis would be the first step. Yeah. And again, because it's a clinical diagnosis that takes multiple criteria, because you need to exclude other factors, it is sometimes a difficult diagnosis to make. Mm -hmm. uh, but once the diagnosis is made, then the next step is educating women about what the diagnosis means. Yes. Right? And I think that's what you're getting at. So polycystic ovarian syndrome, when the diagnosis is, is, is made, is associated with a number of things. And you can have all of those things or you can have none of those things. Mm -hmm. So one of the things is associated with is difficulty losing weight, which is a little bit similar to insulin resistance. So there is a very tricky mechanism between the ovaries and the insulin growth factors that basically makes uh, the women with polycystic ovarian syndrome have insulin resistance, which basically means that they tend to put on weight and find it difficult to lose weight. So there is uh, definitely uh, excessive weight and difficulty losing weight. It's very much associated with polycystic ovarian syndrome. And is there something they could do for that? Because that is always, it, it's something that people look at and they it starts to impact their self-esteem and self-esteem. Of course, of course. As much as having an infertility journey has. Yeah. yeah, and what's difficult about weight and polycystic ovarian syndrome is that it's like the two of them feed each other. So if you have a woman who has polycystic ovarian syndrome and you know over time she gain a little bit of weight because life is busy and you get a little older and your metabolism slow down. Now you can have from you can I usually hear the story of like, you know, when I was in university, yes my cycles were irregular and they were every 40 days, now I got married and I put on 50 pounds and now my cycles are once every six months. So what happens is the more weight you put on, the more you develop insulin resistance, the higher estrogen level gets and the more severe the menstrual irregularities of polycystic ovarian syndrome gets, which then makes it more difficult to lose weight and then it becomes sort of a feedback loop and the poor patient is caught in the middle. 
So what I normally tell patients is to sort of, first of all, understand that losing weight for somebody that has polycystic ovarian syndrome could be a lot more challenging than for somebody that doesn't have polycystic ovarian syndrome. So to give yourself a little bit of grace and sometimes when they go, oh my God, now I have an explanation for why it's so hard for me, really helps them. The other thing that I tell the patient is, you know, don't really worry about the scale so much. Concentrate on what you're eating and concentrating the output. Because sometimes with polycystic ovarian syndrome, women can tend to have a propensity towards creating high muscle mass. So Mm -hmm. you could be quite muscular, which may... When you get on the scale, you can see that the weight is not coming down, but if you're losing a little bit of that body fat and it's that adipose tissue that makes the extra estrogen, that can really still put you further ahead, even though the number of the scale is not really reflective of all the work that you're doing. So if you're concentrating on decreasing the amount of carbohydrates that you're eating and doing exercises that are both aerobic and muscle building exercises to build muscle mass, even if you don't see a change of the scale, you are probably from the metabolic point of view, really helping the situation quite a bit by decreasing the amount of of insulin resistance and conversely decreasing the severity of the polycystic ovarian syndrome. I tend to try and encourage people to exercise Mm-hmm. And realize that it's it's not impossible to lose weight, but it's challenging, and the whole journey is challenging. So this right. is another piece of it. And there, some of them will want to go on special diets so that they can maybe keep the PCOS under under control or in a certain way, so that they could then try and get pregnant. And what do you do with that, or how do you manage that? Is the weight really um, responsible for the PCOS? Is there a weight? Sorry, what is the question again? Is the weight responsible for the PCOS? Oh, the weight is responsible. Yeah. No, I wouldn't say the weight is in itself responsible for the PCOS. The PCOS is a medical condition. It's like your height is genetic most of the time. It's not something that you cause on yourself. There's plenty of women that are extremely thin and still have polycystic ovarian syndrome. Yes, thank you for so, saying that. <laughs> yes, yes, and that is another altogether that I mean we can go into as well but there is a subtype of polycystic ovarian syndrome where women could be very 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 thin and still have horribly irregular cycles and all of the other issues as well so I do not think that polycystic ovarian syndrome is something that you have caused by overeating or by being overweight. It is genetic. There are many women that do overeat and are overweight and don't have polycystic ovarian syndrome. There are very many women with severe polycystic ovarian syndrome who are extremely thin. So no, it's not something that you cause. It's not related necessarily. I appreciate you saying that because I think women need to hear that. Right. Other is the, the physical pain that can come with it when you do menstruate. Is there something that can be done for the pain that some of the women experience? You mean the pain experience with the with menstruation in women yeah. with polycystic ovarian syndrome? Yeah. Yeah. So here's the issue with polycystic ovarian syndrome. So in terms of what could be done for the pain, well, the usual analgesics that are, you know, Advil, Tylenol to take with menstruation. One of the reasons that menstruation could be so painful is because this is the way I explain it to the patient. The lining of the uterus requires two main hormones, estrogen and progesterone. 
Estrogen is what makes the lining grow thicken, and progesterone is what makes it thin. So with a normal menstrual cycle that is 28 to 30 days long, you get a little bit of estrogen at the beginning of the cycle, and then there is an ovulation, and then you get progesterone at the end of the cycle. So I think about it as the grass on your lawn, and the estrogen is the fertilizer, and the water is what makes the lawn grow, and the progesterone is the lawnmower that comes and cuts the lawn, and you need both. You need water fertilizing, once a week, cut the lawn. Water fertilizing, once a week, cut the lawn. If you only cut, 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 it's gonna look terrible. It's gonna have patches and look ugly. And if you water, 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 fertilize, and you never cut it, then it's gonna look terrible as well. It's gonna grow wild and you know, with patches all over. So it's the same thing with the lining. When you have polycystic ovarian syndrome, there is tons of estrogen coming in, but there isn't that regular input of progesterone coming in every month. So what happens is the lining gets thicker and thicker and thicker, kind of like the lawn if you never cut it. And then it gets so thicken, thicken that it starts bleeding uncontrollably. And that's why many women would go four months without a period and then go a whole month bleeding uh, excessively. And it's because the lining becomes so uh, dysregulated by the unopposed amount of estrogen that you can have really painful periods and really irregular periods as well. Great. Okay, that's a fabulous analogy. I really think it's, it really explains it so vividly. Are there other things that you're seeing in your practice that are primary that people are expressing as um, concerns? You know, a lot of times women hear polycystic ovarian syndrome and they think, well, that's it. That means uh, I have infertile, I'm infertile and I'll never be pregnant. And that's not true either. Right. So I always tell patients, if I wasn't a fertility specialist and I'm seeing a young woman with polycystic ovarian syndrome, I would be in the same breath that I say, you know, you might experience scrolling with fertility down the line. In that same breath, I would be like, and you need to be on the pill because you could get pregnant like this. Right. So polycystic ovarian syndrome, while it's heavily associated with infertility and there's many women that do experience difficulty conceiving, it's not a diagnosis where if you have it, you automatically are not able to conceive. And I think this is really important for people to understand. Yes. The way I explain it to patients is like this. If you have regular cycles, which means you don't have polycystic ovarian syndrome, in a one year's time, you've got 12 chances to conceive. If you have polycystic ovarian syndrome and irregular cycles, in one year's time, maybe you've had four chances to conceive or six or five. And not only that, you have no idea when that was because one time you're, you know, you could be ovulating uh, day 14 of the cycle and the next time is day 25 of a cycle. So that makes it very difficult to plan. It makes it very difficult to have intercourse when you're ovulating and of course you have less chances in a certain amount of time so the infertility is coming from the unpredictable right. uh less number of ovulatory cycles in a certain period of time yeah. but if a woman with polycystic ovarian syndrome does ovulate and they do they just don't do it regularly and every month consistently but if she does ovulate and she happens to have intercourse at that time then pregnancy can happen very well, which is why another misconception is on the other aspect of infertility. Young women, unfortunately, having to have 
abortions or unwanted pregnancies because they were told you have PCOS and you can't get pregnant and then they don't use contraception and they have irregular cycles so they got you know three months without a period and they think these are PCOS and lo and behold they were pregnant the whole time and I've seen that in my practice when people walk in saying well I haven't had my period in three months and I have PCOS and when I do an ultrasound there it is you know waving around saying goodbye uh, the baby. So it is very important to address contraception with women with polycystic ovarian syndrome who don't want to conceive. Yes. And to women who do want to conceive, it's very important to tell them that there is medications and there is treatments, but it doesn't mean that they are completely unable to conceive on their own. Right. So what would the treatment be? For, right. Yes. So for women who are trying to conceive, the main treatment is ways of inducing ovulation. Like I was saying, the main issue is that you're not having regular ovulatory cycles. So one way of inducing ovulation is a medication called merforming. And merforming has been shown to induce ovulation in a particular group of women that have insulin resistance. Not every woman with polycystic, not every woman with polycystic ovarian syndrome has insulin resistance. And specifically, women who are very thin and have polycystic ovarian syndrome don't tend to respond very well to merforming. Okay. So merforming is specific for women that have polycystic ovarian syndrome and insulin resistance. So in those women, it has been shown to induce ovulation. So that's one line of treatment. Another line of treatment is specific medications to induce ovulation that could be letrozole or clomiphene citrate. Clomiphene citrate is no longer available in Canada, but my understanding is that it's still available in the U.S. Are they using something else in Canada to replace we it? We use letrozole in Canada. So letrozole is, is a medication. Is, sorry? Is it almost the same drug? It's not. It is the same drug in that it's Equally to clomiphene citrate, it's a pill that you take for five days. So that's where the similarity is. But the mechanism of action is completely different. Um, but it does work very well in inducing ovulation. And it is important that women are monitored through it because like any other medication, there are side effects. Some of the side effects is that it would induce too many follicles or too many eggs. And then there's the risk of multiples there. It can also cause the lining to be a little bit thin. So it's important to monitor that as well. And sometimes it doesn't work and you need to increase the dose as well. So again, if you take it or monitor it, you might, not, you might be taking it and not having the effect that you want. So that's why the monitoring is really important. So and then the next level after that is the injection. They're called gonadotropins and they're used to induce ovulation. Gonadotropins in polycystic ovarian syndrome is a really, really tricky situation because there are so many follicles in the ovaries that when you give them a little bit of gonadotropins, the ovaries tend to over-respond and create many, many follicles. Mm -hmm. So that would be a problem if you're having time intercourse because that's where you could get your triplets and your quadruplets, which becomes a high-risk pregnancy. Also, when you're inducing ovulation or stimulating the ovaries for IVF, you can be at risk of ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome simply from having an ovary that is so packed full of follicles and the, um, and the hormones in polycystic ovarian syndrome makes, it, makes women very successful to uh, ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. So that's something that uh, fertility specialists need to watch out for in women with polycystic ovarian syndrome. Do many of the people, I, I don't know if you know the statistic or not, or if you know generally speaking even, do many people wind up getting pregnant just with the medication? 
Yes, so if a woman, I do, I do think many women, if a woman, it depends obviously on other factors as well. If the women are relatively young and if the sperm is normal and if the the fallopian tubes are open and there is no other issues other than the irregular cycles, then many women do conceive with the ovulation induction because that really is the only problem. Right. Uh, obviously, if the women are a little older, or if there's other issues involved, if there's a male factor in fertility, if there is anatomical abnormalities of the uterus or blocked fallopian tubes, then then you you'll need something a little bit more um, uh, aggressive from the point of view of fertility treatments. Right, you go through that fertility journey a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think that this is so helpful and and such a wealth of information in such an easily understandable manner. So thank you so much. You're Um, welcome. My pleasure. I asked you a lot more questions, but I'm just thinking that this might be a good, unless there's something else you want to add, I think this is a good amount of information here for people to absorb related to it. And what... What the takeaway really is, is consult with your doctor because everybody's individual. There's a lot of other um, factors that can come out of PCOS besides the insulin resistance and the weight. That's right. And they can be managed. That's what I'm hearing from you, basically. They can be managed and you can go through this fertility journey and wind up very likely conceiving, if not naturally, then through the assistance of a little bit more aggressive fertility well, one more thing that I want to talk about, I want to say about PCOS is, which I, I hadn't mentioned, and so we talked about PCOS causing uh, type 2 diabetes, it can also be associated with difficulty losing weight, associated with infertility, it can also be associated with sleep apnea as well, so that's why it's another reason to, to diagnose, but another thing that is really important to talk about is PCOS can be associated with what we call endometrial hyperplasia and eventually endometrial cancer. So that is another reason why it is important to see a physician. So what I was explaining before about the, the, the grass and the fertilizer and the progesterone, the same way if you're putting a lot of fertilizer and your lawn just grows and grows and grows, the lining when you have too much estrogen or progesterone can grow and grow and grow. And not only can bleed irregularly, but it can also become abnormal and develop what is called endometrial hyperplasia, which is basically abnormalities of the glands of the, of the uterus. And this endometrial hyperplasia, if left uncontrolled, which means continue with a pattern of excessive estrogen and no progesterone, it can actually lead into early stages endometrial cancer. So women who sense. have... It makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah. Logic. Yeah. Yeah, so women who have polycystic ovarian syndrome are not interested in having a pregnancy, should still be seeing their gynecologist to address this issue because the treatment then would be to give them some of that progesterone that they're missing to balance the lining again and prevent the onset of endometrial hyperplasia and eventually endometrial cancer. Yeah, so you don't need to go to reproductive endocrinologist for this. No. Your gynecologist should be able to identify it and treat it. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's very important. So even though I'm a fertility specialist, I also wanted to make sure that women who don't want to hear from me because they have no interest in pregnancy whatsoever still get something out of this uh, if they happen to hear this or you tell your friends, I uh, still get something out of this that is a condition that can have an impact on your life 
even outside of fertility, and it's important to have a proper diagnosis, diagnosis and treatment. Yes, because it's very treatable when it's caught and it's identified. That's right. That's right. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you for adding that. I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. So if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, how would they reach out to you? Well, um, I am on Instagram under uh, at, at Mavis Garcia, Dr. Mavis Garcia. So M-E-I-V-Y-S. Uh, Garcia, J-A-R-C-I-A. So that's, uh, I also have a website, www.drmavisgarcia.com. So those are the two main places where uh, people can find me. Thank you so much for being here today. This was really wonderful information. And as I said before, just easy to understand. You, you're so prolific in your expertise. <laughs> so I appreciate it. And um, I'll look at the grass differently from now on when I see it growing, get watered, and get the, the lawnmower out. And if anybody has any questions or any comments or anything I could help them with, please feel free to reach out to me at laurienets.net. Thank okay. you. You are very welcome. It's been a pleasure. Thank oh, you yeah. for everything you do for, for people, Lori. Oh, thank you. Thank you.